We love beating Mayo, lads. <laughs> Poor old Mayo got an awful beating at the weekend as well. Like, poor old Kevin, he'd, he'd be keeping the head down in Roscommon Town for a few days. Off the ball. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The Club Championship Show on Off The Ball in partnership with AIB, proud sponsor of the Football, Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Hashtag the toughest. Welcome along to the Club Championship Show here on Off The Ball, proudly brought to you by AIB, the main sponsors of the All-Ireland Club Hurling, Football and Camogie Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest throughout the championship. Well, we had the fog in Norrie at the weekend. A game went ahead. The game came to a conclusion and Derry's Glen avenged their loss to Kilmico Croaks in last year's final to book their spot in this year's All-Ireland Club Football Decider. Malachy Rook's charges survived letting a seven-point lead slip in the second half to put in a strong finish in the end to come through by the minimum to get through to the decider in a couple of weeks' time. Despite going 20 minutes without a score, St. Bridget's of Roscommon also had a late rally in them to defeat Cork's Castlehaven by four points at the finish to advance to their first All-Ireland final since they lifted the American Cup back in 2013. We'll hear from both of the winning camps in a few minutes' time, but delighted to say I'm joined on today's show by the Irish examiners Morris Brosnan and OTB's Gaelic Games correspondent Tommy Rooney. Lads, good morning to you. Morning, well. The first question would be, and Morris will throw to you first, should that game in Norrie have gone ahead at all or should it have been played to a conclusion? Because watching it on TV, whatever about the reporters who were there at Park Elser watching the game, it was difficult, really, to see most of it. Yeah, it was it was impossible. You'd, you'd give TJ Carr a lot of credit, wouldn't you, for in the second half they flipped it up behind the goal camera. I've never actually watched a game live unfold from that behind the goal camera, as in you watch it move over back inside. Generally, you kind of see it from a kick out, and it's kind of stationary position. You see movement, but you could see in the second half whoever was match producing that game kind of realised if if we keep using this broad wide shot from the the what they call the A angle. People just can't see can't see anything here. So I thought that they deserve credit for that. Um, I don't know, but like the I I I when I watched the game, I was fully convinced it shouldn't have been played. I was, it just it was it felt impossible for us. It surely was the same there. And then I kind of assumed, okay, well, obviously, if the game's going ahead, this isn't an issue for players. And if you're on pitch level, and okay, it's a bad TV product, but beyond that, we put we've a constricted calendar. Maybe let them play. But then you hear after management from both sides talking about how difficult they found it to see. You see players talking about the difficulty seeing down the other end and you think this is a bit this is a bit much, isn't it? So I thought for, for 40 minutes it was uh adequate, maybe is the word. And then afterwards it seemed to send to kind of farcical circumstances. So I think when you weigh all that up it probably shouldn't have been played. Yeah. Tom, I was, was listening to Peter Canavan on the way back up Roadwell and mm. Canavan was adamant. I had to pull over about two minutes to go and watch the end of the game. But Canavan was adamant on radio that this game was going to be called off while Glenn were building up that six point, seven point lead. And like I was sitting there, I was like, No, can't be as you're driving back home from from uh, Bridges Castle Haven. And then when you switch it on, again, as Morris said, that switching to the T V camera, yes, that's great. But like when Shane Walsh plays that remarkable pass. You have no idea what's happening. You know what's going on. Like you don't know who's caught it or who's buried it. No, like it, it, it was absolutely madness. But I think, as a player, I know people were talking afterwards how difficult it was, um, and uh, you know you had two boys saying that they couldn't see the ball at one stage. You know, up the field. I think as players, when you're that hyped up for a match, think if there's a chance you play it, you want to play it. You want to get it done. You want to get it over with. Um, and I don't think anyone would want to call off in the middle of it last night. I. I think the, what with the Connor Lane could see both goalposts during the game. He could proceed with it. That was the kind of the the barometer that he had set. So if, if Lane could see it, I don't know. That's a fair game, I think. Yeah, and like Morris, you said the calendar doesn't help in all this. So you had a Walsh Cup game between Offaly and Galway, which after 55 minutes, the referee said, look, this is a preseason game. We're not able to see properly for the safety of players. I'm going to call it off. No one's going to complain too much. The reality is St. Bridget's had already completed their game against Castlehaven. There's only a couple of weeks till the final. There probably wasn't the wiggle room if they had to come back and play that, say, next Saturday. Yeah, that Galway game was... I don't know if you, you watched that back, Will. It was completely fast. It looked like a screen full of smoke. You weren't seeing uh, absolutely anything there. But um, the, the calendar is, is definitely a factor. And then there's also, like, I don't. I think you have to be conscious of the, the constrictions that are placed here in multiple different spectrums. I Personally, I think, I know there was a lot of talk about this, the venue for this game. 
I could see the logic in fixing it for Croke Park. I know I'm in the minority on that, but just given the fact that you've got the floodlights, the heat, underground heating, the, you would guarantee people be able to see the game firstly. But the constrictions there is that, cast your mind back to this time last year, and Croke Park was in rag order. The pitch was very evidently wearing the brunt of playing too many games. So they decided that they're going to use it less frequently. And as a consequence of that, you go to club venues, which is great, and I absolutely love that. But inevitable byproduct that is playing club in, in or smaller provincial venues during January is that you're going to run into difficulties, whether that be in terms of the surface or whether that be in terms of the weather. That's just inevitable. So I think that's that's a, a real kind of a hamstrung element for for everybody here. And I also think the I you know there's been a lot of kind of talk subsequently about what exactly are the parameters for for playing a game. Tommy mentioned seeing the two posts. The GA actually spokesperson said during the week, uh, speaking to the Irish Times, that it's not necessarily anything specific like that, that they're not drilling down and picking one thing. It's just generally him making a a, a call on the day. Is this safe? Can both teams this be played? He doesn't need to contact anybody. It's the determination of a referee. And if you weigh that all up and you think, okay, he's in a very difficult position. The, the, both these teams are in a very difficult position. The GA are in a difficult position in terms of where they can play this game. It, it, it's just an unfortunate thing. Like it's not. I don't think you can. This isn't something where you can put the finger at anybody. It's just unfortunate. These are the cards we were dealt. I yeah. think we just need a repeat next year, do we? Michael McCulloch's another All Ireland semi final or final. We'll take it. Oh, definitely. I'd, I'd like to be able to see a little bit more of it this time from home, seeing <laughs> on Sunday. But like aside from that, it's also an important point that Colin Keyes made it in his uh, report afterwards in the Indo, which is that. Like realistically, abandonment had to be on the card, Tommy, with the way that the fog got worse in the second half. But as you already mentioned, when it gets to a position whereby Glenn were well ahead after halftime when the fog started to get worse and worse, you'd probably have to consult with both sets of management. And that would have been an interesting conversation for the referee at the point the game was at. Yeah, but then are Glenn putting hands up in the 61st minute and saying, call it off? You know, throw a game. <laughs> Let's call it here. You know, like when Newman Cross got the run of them. It's such a stickle decision. Impossible. God, if Conor Lane had made that decision, it would have gone down in infamy. Either way. Do you know, it would have been somebody complaining or somebody giving out. I think actually Lane made the right call and I think he went with it and nobody was hurt. Sure, it was hard to see, but, you know, game went on. I think, I think for the best part, the players could see what was happening in front of them if they were, if, you know, maybe restricted a little bit, but... Maybe there was no orange ball there, Tommy, but I can't understand why the orange ball that was used in the dome wasn't used in these circumstances. Surely this is the perfect time to get the orange ball out. Probably, it was not sort of a, an anomaly, kind of a first time we've kind of seen the orange ball. I know the yellow slurs become a bit more um, frequently used these days, but Morris might know a bit more about it. the orange ball. Is that something that we might see over the next little while? So the, uh, this is kind of... Um as part of the dome with the, uh, when John Penty came up with the idea, they had a couple of different things, that, a couple of issues that would have come within the, the circumstances there. Because it's such a it's such an unusual thing that everything comes with this. So they, originally they actually had a yellow ball that they would use in there. The orange ball made its debut this year. That It's just a, a very clear differentiator between the, the roof and the, the ball. Um, I think it's, yeah, like, well, I think it's a great idea. Like, it's, uh, uh, as long as it's not obviously... The, like the yellow sitter was such a controversial thing for some you know, unbeknownst reason. So as long as there's no actual quality impact, I, I wouldn't see why that's not a very easy fix that we could see. If not this year, then very, very soon. Yeah, not sure Patrick Horgan has an issue with a coloured Gaelic football as much as he would about a yellow slitter, but sure, I'm sure we'll see over the next while. Uh, going back to the game itself, lads, like this really comes to life in the final quarter of the game because Robbie Brennan said afterwards, Morris, that realistically... Chemical Croaks weren't in it for most of the game and he felt like they only played for about 11 minutes. They reel off 1-4 to no reply at one stage and even right towards the end of the game Chemical Croaks could well have taken that to extra time. So like, even though the defending champions didn't play well for the vast majority of the game they were still right in it at the end. Yeah, I, I thought the, the change in this game came to, to two subs that came on uh, Hugh Kenny, Keen O'Connor Keen O'Connor especially just brought it's not as much uh and you know, it's, you could point to maybe elements of his impact that weren't necessarily perfect. Like he, he had a wide on the, the right hand side there at one stage, and um, he forced a great free. Remember when he was hunting down McCall down, uh, Kim McCall down the sideline, just uh, absolutely down after him. And uh, but Ponyman actually pulled that free short. But it's more, it was that exactly that attitude that I think they were sorely lacking. He just went to punt the same gown. It was really kind of, I'm not going to be beaten here. From the moment he, he comes on and wins that first ball, kicks a great point down the left-hand side. I think he creates the Paul Mannion point. 
I don't say that because I can't remember. I genuinely couldn't see who gave that ball to, to Paul Mannion on TV, but I pr- I'm pretty sure it was Gina Connor coming down that line. And that, like, they, Glenn were rattled. There's no other way of, of saying that. They couldn't get out of their drone 45. They, they, in the first half, even when kick passes weren't coming on, uh, weren't necessarily sticking, they, they kept with it. They, they stuck with it. And at that stage in the second half, you're thinking, okay, maybe now it's time to change, but they're just so wet to the way they want to play. But yeah, they were they were really penned in for, for that stretch. And actually, well, it's, and in some ways, it's really encouraging from a Gaelic football perspective. The thing that ultimately was such a decisive factor was the fact that they they drive down the fields, they win a free, they go one up. No, we can talk about that if you want. I didn't think that was a free. Like I, I, I thought Kim Connor was very harshly penalised there. But they still, they go a point up. And this is it. we've seen this a lot over the last couple of years is what do you do? You go point up and what do you do? So we've seen a lot of teams decide to, to drop back to their 45, to concede the entire kick out, drop back, let a team come back to them. And Glenn do the opposite. They say, you know, we're getting this ball back, we're hunting everywhere. So it's actually a short kick out. It goes to Craig Diaz, but who's right up behind him? Connor Glass chasing him, like ferocious chasing him. And he's the man who went forced the turnover for that that goal at the end, which which ultimately was, was an absolute killer and uh, such a, a momentum swing. So I thought that was, from our perspective, was really encouraging. That I want press a kick out Morris that can fix so many deals in Gaelic football can't it because I think so many of the problems we saw this year was teams just giving up and kick out and dropping back and setting up if you press that kick out outrageously the way that Glenn did the way that we see the, we saw the dubs do with Tomeo when they're at their very best in that rivalry that, that's when we see the best of Gaelic football but I think it's a psychological thing as much as I can see I actually do see the logic Tommy for why certain teams would concede a kick out if they they're getting cleaned out in the middle of the field and if they back themselves to make life miserable for a team carrying out like we're going to hit you hard we know you can't don't like to play through the lines so we're going to hit you and think but there's a psychological element of in that circumstances for example right that if you're if you're tagging that kick an analyst would look at that and say that came from a from a turnover but it's more just a psychological thing that we're saying we're going and hunting them back like we are not inviting them onto us to give them one more chance here we're going to go and hunt this game I think there's a and also the pressure you would feel maybe it doesn't go wrong in the moments for, uh, when you're getting pressed but down the line as that psychological pressure starts to build and you start to build that tension eventually that will yield something as well so I think there's there's the the obvious impact in terms of if you actually win the ball back but there is a, a kind of a psychological element that comes with that as well yeah Tommy how do you assess like Glenn up until that point maybe where they drift a little bit afterwards because I thought like after Crokes had a decent start, Glenn looked very much firmly in control up till half time. And then, as you mentioned, they reel off that's those uh, run of scores. And it looked like once they got to their 13th point that it was going to be remarkably comfortable at that stage. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm going to get to the second game or the first game of Bridges Castle later on. But the, the kind of similarities that came and the momentum shifts in both of those games were really, really interesting. I think with Glenn, you know, I think they were in total control. They were playing some of the best football I've seen them playing in quite a while. But they also kept Mannion and Walsh very quiet. Like the job that Michael Warnock had done and Jim Walsh in that first half, even just restricted the, the influence that they were having. And I think it took Paul Mannion quite a while to get a shot off in that game. It was probably 40 minutes and 35 minutes before he got a shot off at all. So, you know, while Croaks are their best players are being kept quiet, the likes of Glass and McFall and these lads are just running the show. And uh, I think when Glamour in that sort of form, like the game just isn't over when you've got when you've got Walsh and, and Manion on the other side. They look how quickly Shane Walsh changed that game. Like a little magic, forcing it a little bit, and it's just unbelievable how momentum can shift in Gaelic football so quickly. But I guess it's we'll come back to it later. Can you take advantage of it when you are on top? When you get that purple patch, you know Castlehaven had the underside of the crossbar. You know when Rory Maguire smashed it when we were two points down. Chemical Croaks. I'll be honest. If if Conrad doesn't Coach that ball away and that up in Darty. I feel like Crooks were going to steal that game in injury time, and uh, do you know it would have been it would have been a massive win for them. It's that bit of quality that Walsh brings as well, Morris. Like the ball that he plays in for the goal, and um, the way that he was trying to make things happen when Crooks were going for other goals towards the end of the game as well. Like he can have quiet patches in the game, but when he comes to life and shows that extra bit of quality, he's an incredible player. And as well as that. Probably will. I think it's the unpredictability that makes it just a, a nightmare to to stop. Like, uh, especially when he's breaking down that right side line. I, I think a lot of people are thinking, he, okay, he's going for the score here himself. That he, he actually wants it, and instead he just squares an absolutely exceptional pass back. And he does that a lot. Like he he, he can actually when he, he used to play in the fourth five, maybe a lot more in, earlier in his career, and he would create a huge amount. He just has that. and he, he kind of is nearly craft something out of nothing type of thing. And he, the fact he plays heads up. 
you know, he has spoken about this since he was a child. The fact that he would have, you know, he was kicking the ball every single way when he's younger. The, but the the fact that you see that now, he doesn't. He's no repeatability about the way he kicks the ball, which is actually it's a funny enough thing. It's a nightmare as a defender because you know there's certain players you know they have a cue that you you know Ben O'Carroll now has a very classic score. We'll talk about it later where he's kind of coming back onto the loop. That's like back step onto his left foot, and so as a defender you're waiting for that moment and then you can try and pressurize him. Whereas you don't know what way you don't know what foot wash you're going to strike with. You don't know what way his preference is. Is he going to strike with his laces, his instep, the outside of his boot? So it just makes your life kind of miserable that way. And the fact that you go to a game for for forty odd minutes without having a huge impact and then suddenly has two plays and can almost change the game. Mm. Let's hear from the Glen camp then because Connor Glass spoke to Ashing O'Reilly after the game and understandably the first question that came up was about 12 months ago and whether the pain of losing at Crow Park for Glen was a motivating factor going into the rematch against Kilmacud. Well, after the final, also after the final last year, like they beat us, like that was the end of it. Like they were a better team. Uh, we had our chances, uh, probably to claw our way back into the game, but they were the better team, and we've accepted that. We've continuously said that over this year when we were asked this question. Um, yes, it probably brought a bit of age and everything like that in the media, but look, as players, we could really only focus on the job at hand, and I'm sure they were the same. Um, we have enough characters, enough experienced players in our team in terms of the management and the players to not kind of read into the other thing. But look, it's as I said before, it's a magnificent day for the for the community. But like. We haven't won anything. That's only us into the final. So yeah, f- thankfully we're out in two weeks now. And what did it mean, I suppose, to get Glenn or to get Kilmacud? Sorry, you know, when you heard that you had them, I'm sure it was a moment of like, you know, you're a competitive footballer. I'm sure you're like, I want another crack at them. 100. Anytime you get you get beat, you always want another crack at the, the opposition. Um, that's just human nature, and that's just a part of being a competitor. Um, and we. Yeah, like our job obviously was to win the Ulster final. And we we obviously set ourselves up for this game, uh, but we didn't really pay too much attention until we got over the line against Scotstown, and then we were solely able to focus on them. Um, and playing them 12 months ago was a good learning block too, because we had that vision from the year before, and the players and personnel didn't really change. So if you were able to, I guess, do a bit of homework as well and learn from last year. Were you personally able to put it aside fairly easy, or did it take you some time? What was that, sorry? Were you able personally to put it to, to one side, the All-Ireland final last year, easy enough, or did it take some time? Oh, absolutely, it took some time. Like I was, I was depressed for I don't know how long. Um, and that's just, that just shows that I care. Um, I'm sure the rest of the players are the exact same. As I said, any, any defeat's always difficult to swallow. Um, All-Ireland final, the, the hardest to swallow. Um, but it shows the character that this club has, shows the determination, the competitiveness, um, to come back after such a hard year last year and, and put ourselves in a position to do so again. Connor, you've played some amount of football over the last two years or so and you're still playing at such a high level and still doing it time and time again. You look to be enjoying it anyway. <laughs> look, I'd rather be playing football than doing a pre-season, to be honest. Um, I'm sure Dave Clifford would be the same. He said he said that as well last year in terms of I'd rather be playing matches. Um, it's the best way to, to kind of gain your fitness. Um, thankfully, I've stayed injury-free and that's, that's, a te- that's a testament to... I guess the strength and conditioning, the management around me and uh, my girlfriend as well, she probably, because I'm out of the, the house a lot, so it's uh, sure, I guess, her commitment to accept that as well. So it, there's a lot of moving moving parts to it. And for Malik O'Rourke, what will this mean to him now? I know his name was mentioned at the start with the dairy job and yeah. in the end, look, he, he didn't take it and he wanted to stick with Glenn, he had a job to do there. What will it mean to him? Yeah, like Maliki... Um, I had a chat and briefly about it when the day job was about um, and he said that he was solely focused on Glenn um, and after he said that I knew good things were going to happen whether it be this year or the following years the years to come um, when you have a group of players following a couple of men that that determined to get the best out of you like it's a special place to be um, luckily I've been like that I've been with two teams that are in Derry and Glenn that have been have had that sort of culture within the team so Yes, I'm just very fortunate to be a part of two good uh, setups. Well, you're back in an All Ireland final. You have St. Bridget's of Ross Common. You'd be looking forward to that one. Yeah, look, they're a magnificent team. I watched them against Corfin. Um, look, they're a serious outfit. In terms of like, Ross Common, of the boys had good players um, and none better than the county this year. Uh, I think it's Ben O'Carroll corner forward. Um, serious, serious player. And Brian Sack at fullback and um, as Eddie Nolan midfield. Like they've, they're, they're team stacked. Uh, they're in an All-Iron final for a reason. They're serious competitors and look, we're looking forward to going hammer and tongue in two weeks' time against them. And no doubt all your support will be back up to Crow Park on the 21st of January. Absolutely. No, it's going to be special now. Um, as I said before, coming down to one location and no better place to do that than the headquarters. Um, our club hasn't had this history before. Um, 
we barely played in Celtic Park and and Clonus and that sort of thing and Armagh, uh, never mind Crook Park. So look, we're going to enjoy this occasion. But as players, we have a job to do and uh, we're going to look forward to it. There you go, Tommy Rooney. Connor Glass, a man who's barely had a break in the last three years between league finals, runs to All-Ireland semi-finals, now back-to-back All-Ireland club finals. And in the 63rd minute, he's still breaking himself to get up and push up on a kick-out to uh, force a turnover for the goal. Yeah, but Glass is something else, isn't he? He's unbelievable. Um, and I think the run that he's been on, you know, Sean Kelly has been on similar enough kind of runs over the last couple of years. He's been struggling with injuries. David Clifford, remarkably, um, has kept the body going as well for the most part over the last two years. He's in a couple of nicks, but Glass has just been a freak nature. I don't know, Morris, is that the AFL conditioning from the couple of years he had beyond? You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this earlier. So I... I landed in Australia in 2020, uh, January 2020. I was I was on the plane flying into Sydney. I could see the bushfires in Sydney at the time. And I thought, okay, thank God I, I missed that. And three weeks later, everyone starts talking about this virus that's uh, coming across the world that might be able to shut down the whole globe. So, uh, But I, I, I flew down to Melbourne for the opening round of the AFL and I met Conor Glass there at that stage. So this was when, and I remember it was him and his housemate at the time, Conor Nash from, from Mead, obviously, who... Um, uh, who, and they lived together they joined Hawthorne at the exact same time they were actually being recruited at the very similar time didn't necessarily know it but from a very early age and Conor Nash was talking about the next you know, 5-10 years what he wanted to achieve in the AFL the fact that he's become a part of a group he wanted to establish himself and then next thing was about winning Conor Grass was talking about getting a crew from Mahara out there what had Chrissy McCoy done when he was over in Sydney and brought back to, to Derry how desperate he was to get back and play for his county it was very obvious to me at that stage just two different we're never getting Nash home, are we? I don't think so, unfortunately. No, I don't think so. But but one thing, I, I don't think I'm breaking uh, you know, any, any secrets here, but one thing Connor, Connor Glasses is, would speak very much about at the time, and even when he came back, he said to me again, was he, you know, he was lot, watching a lot of sport, and he, he was big on this concept, one brain. So can you get a, uh, in any team sport, can you get the entire team think, uh, thinking along the same path? It's the one brain ideology. So everybody knows in itself what they want to do. They want to you know, operate and think. It's a very kind of standard idea, but how do you cultivate an environment where you get everybody thinking along one brain? And I have to say, when you look at what has happened to Derry since his comeback and the way, particularly last weekend, the way Glenn were like the, the operating sink, I think a lot of that is down to him. Like, I think driving that, the idea that they're, they know exactly, you know, you, you hear anybody, time you, you go again, it's not from the sideline. You, you see that yourself, that this is, this is on field stuff. So much of it is, is what they're doing themselves. And I think a lot of him is responsible for that kind of intangible stuff. So his impact on the field is, is absolutely obvious. But I'd say we will learn gradually over the next few years. His impact off the field as well has been just as impactful. Mm. Let's hear from Robbie Brennan then, the manager of Chemical Croaks, uh, winning three Leinster titles in a row, coming up just short by a point in that semi-final. But he said he was proud of how his players rallied when they fell so far behind in the second half. Proud they died with their boots on, I suppose, is the phrase everyone's using. Uh, we looked a beaten duck. We were a beaten duck at 11-4, and I thought we were we were done and dusted at that stage. But where the lads found the energy to come back and have a crack at it, you know, and they did. And but uh, ultimately, Glen were the better team, and, and as I say, ultimate deserves winners on the day. Yeah, how were you feeling at halftime? You went in five points down. Obviously, something you said must have worked. Well, not not so sure it did. Like I think it. 30 minutes there was about 2 minutes of injury time I think it was 7-4 we were hoping to get in maybe at that stage because we hadn't played well um, and obviously they went 11-4 up so I'm not so sure it was much we did at half time but the lads just took the shackles off then and had a, had a bit of a cut at it and probably played for 12-13 minutes and it was nearly enough to, to steal it but it would have been it probably would have been daylight robbery now through being told you know well, the conditions, you know, that was a big thing here today, the, the fog. How did you find, I suppose, your game plan with that fog? You know, you were looking up, looking for the ball inside and almost at times they were probably thinking to themselves, it's not on, I can't see the player. Yeah, that was it. I think there's a few times we were screaming, kicking in, but the lads couldn't see, you know. So, But as I've referenced, it's the same for Glenn. So uh, they obviously just handled the conditions better than we did. And uh, ultimately, it, 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 I'm not saying a cod is in the end, but it was it was difficult to play out there, there's no doubt. Yeah. Have you spoke to the players yet? Yeah, we had a quick chat up there, as I say, extremely proud of what they've done it's the last game they've lost was that last kick of the game to Kilku so uh, you know it's been, a, it's been a good run over the last whatever number of years I think they've won four Dublins in six years and three Leinsters and an All-Ireland so, so, so they deserve you know they deserve a bit of success to look back but they're a hungry bunch I'd say they'll, they'll, be, they'll be back chomping at a bit March, April, May ready to go again and that's a, a good sign of a good group of players And for you as well you know to, to be managing this team and to be winning what you're winning and doing everything you have done with this group you know it's, it's been incredible I'm sure you 
you're enjoying it all? Oh, I've loved it. It's been there six years now. As I say, that's a it's a long stint, and uh, we'll you know we'll sit back and see what the see what the plan of attack is. I don't know what the club want to do or what the lads want to do. I'll be guided by them really, and. Uh, if they want me to stay, I'll stay. And if they want me to go, I'll go, you know. But uh, as I say, ultimately, when it's your own club, you can't be just proud of, of, of what the lads did, you know. It'll be a long road back now, but uh, we'll we'll stop somewhere and we'll have a couple of points and try and lick our wounds, you know. Yeah, that's it. You have to sort of look at everything you have achieved, like, you know, winning three Leinsters in a row. That's never been done before. Obviously, the, the reigning All-Ireland champions. And even today here at Park Ezra, seeing the amount of people that have come out and to see a club game in this light, I think has is, is just been unbelievable to see. Yeah, no, it's huge. And like, uh, you'd, you'd imagine between the two clubs now with Glenn and Croaks, there'll hopefully be a history going forward. You know, we'd have a lot of respect for them. And uh, as I think they're, they're a fantastic club, carried themselves so well with all the shenanigans going on at the end of last year. And you never heard anything come from them themselves so uh, nothing but respect from us and as I say we wish them very well now in the final Yeah there was a lot of shenanigans were you able to put that aside in the build up or did it play into the build up to get you motivated and not not that you need to be motivated but you know did it add to the spice of it all No I don't think so and, and as I said everyone I doubt it did for Glen either you know it's, it's it's on the day it's last year's a long time away or, or a long time ago so no it's about the process and just getting the usual about the process and getting through it but they just you say Glen executed their plan better than we did today and uh, more credit to them Morris, before we move on to the second game, is there a possibility those of us in the media and those who are looking for a narrative coming out of last year and into this game, that maybe we overplayed the importance of everything that happened after the final? Because both Chemical Croaks and Glenn, in every question they've been asked before and after, have played down all that drama after the final last year. Or is that just something that managers are naturally going to say? The latter, I think. Um, I, th- I don't think you can say it, though. It was overplayed when it was as dominant uh, story as as it was and a lot, I sometimes I think motivation like that will doesn't necessarily need to be articulated in the dressing room but there's absolutely no doubt that is that they're all conscious of it that it was in the, the back of their minds both from a, I think it was there for the Glen given the nature of the, how last year went I think it was there for Kilm Good given the fact that they think this is a perfect opportunity for us to have the final say here and prove conclusively that we deserve to win that day and that and they went down I, I couldn't agree with Robbie Brennan more. Like they, did, they went down like champions. Like they, they, they did die with the boots on the way they, they rallied. was very impressive in the second half. But no, I don't think I don't think it was overplayed. No, if you think otherwise, feel free to say it. But I, I think by and large, I think that it got the coverage it deserved purely because it was as big a story as it was. Mm. Tommy, you were on, I guess, a game that was less affected by fog and more maybe the frosty conditions on particularly one side of the pitch for St. Bridget's win <laughs> against Castlehaven. So one eleven to 10 points. And we've got a similar story here where Bridget's at one point were cruising at six points up. They couldn't do anything wrong, really, in the opening exchanges. Uh, I think they scored 1-5 before they hit a wide. They were in a really, really strong position in the game. And then they go 20-odd minutes without a score before rallying late after Castlehaven had eaten away at the lead. Yeah, I think... Uh I think that's one of the big things in this game was, yes, Castlehaven improved after the break. I think the first half was nearly a caravan copy of what we saw when Bridges took on Carfin. Carfin were flat. Um, they weren't able to get up to the pace that Bridges brought to the table that day in Connacht final. And I think Castlehaven were carrying maybe a couple of knocks and niggled in. They were targeting a fast start. Didn't happen for them. Bridges brought that electricity, that energy. And as you mentioned, Will, 1-5, six shots, six scores between second and the 18th minute. They went 22 minutes without a score then. And in that time, they hit six wides at the start of the second half. Their composure deserted them. And I would imagine when they're watching this game back this week, I don't know if they'd be hammering fellas about it, but there were certainly shots that probably shouldn't have been taken. There was a moment when Paul McGrath broke through and he had three players, three options in front of him, and he yeah. blazed one wide. He got a slip one, you know... Um, Carroll dropped one short. Uh, there was just a couple of wides that probably were rushed and forced a little bit in the key moments. And within that, they allowed Castlehaven, a team that have done this time and time again this year, they allowed Castlehaven up a bit of momentum, get a little bit of a, you know, um, energy going behind their own game. Started reeling off scores. They're a team that are able to create goals. We saw Brian Hurley snap pass into Jack Callan at first half, and he rattled across bar. And then on the far end, Hurley slips and Rory McGuire. And Maguire, God, he gave it well. He gave it everything he had. Um, and like it, it, the funny thing is, if he actually hit the ball a little worse, if he actually scuffed a little bit, that ball probably ends up in the back of the net. And Castlehaven, I would, from seeing them up close this year a couple of times, Castlehaven probably hold on from there. Um, but Bridges, 
huge credit to them. Uh, much the same way that Glenn recovered when a team have a run on you um, and the momentum is shifted away from you. It takes a lot of character to be able to, I suppose, get a hold of that game again and start doing things right and take over a couple of scores. Their sub, Don Cunningham, kicked a brilliant point. And uh, I'd say it killed Daniel Carroll a little bit to put that penalty over the bar at the end of the game, but it was the right decision. And that was it. That was that was the game, you know. Yeah, a sensible choice. Usually when Glory was there for three points, potentially just clip it over and make sure that lead is still there, Morris. But the thing about Bridget's in the, the closing stage is understandably Castlehaven had to push up to try and uh, you know bridge the gap right at the end of the game. But I thought Bridget's, who had shown such a lack of composure, which Tommy's already outlined, were actually very effective on the break in the last few minutes of the game. Yeah, and it, it, going back to what Tommy was saying, the similarities between these games, I thought definitely the way the way it started, where Castlehaven seemed to be giving up the, the kick out, and every British attack was ending in a shot. And Tommy mentioned that spell there where they were near flawless. It felt like things were just breaking kindly for them to the extent where you know Brian Stack actually does kick a shot, but he misses technically because he kicks that shot short. But the ball bounces at McGrath's feet, just pulls it and bodies it first time, puts it over the bar. Like every Brian Hurley. You would have put your house in him kicking that free, the first free he, he, he had. And he was, I thought he was immense, lads. I really thought when he carried the fight for, for long spells and effective single handedly, I don't think Brian Sack has had a tougher day in in the last 12 months than he had uh, on, on, on Hurley at the weekend. But that, that free missing, that chance breaking kindly for them, the ball rattling back up the crossbar, the first crossbar, a hand shot uh, that which flashed past the goal, it just felt like the, everything was going against him. And at halftime, I, I think I even said it to, to Tommy when we were there that this isn't this isn't sustainable for Castlehaven. You can't keep letting every single shot end in a every single attack end in a shot because bridges aren't missing. And <laughs> boy, was I proved wrong because for twenty minutes all they did was miss the, uh, uh, that McGrath chance. It nearly seemed to rattle them totally. The fact that he blazed wide and then Connor Han had one coming down the left. He swung in on his right and he, he just pulled that badly. Bobby Nugent had one. Ben O'Carroll actually kicked a shot on his back. He was he was rocking back. His all the momentum was against him and, and that went short. And I, I think the, the killer for Castlehaven reviewing this game is the thing that nearly seemed to settle Bridges the most was when they started to throw a bit of lack of composure. It was Maguire, a bit of white line fever and it's just smashing that ball. That seemed to rattle him. He had a hand pass across to was Scott Maguire, wasn't it? They just missed and went out over the sideline. Uh, Damien Cahillan had a shot at the top of the D. Tommy mentioned it was, I, think, I thought it was very obvious that a lot of Castlehaven players were carrying knocks over from, from December. They've had a long campaign uh, Brian Hurley kept stretching his squad. I thought Michael Hurley didn't uh, didn't look right. Uh, I think Damien Hanlon. It sounds like he might have been playing on one leg. The um, the nature injury he was carrying. So you could see that was taking his toll as well. But the fact that they started to panic to a certain extent, ironically, suited Bridget. They actually settled because of that, and they closed it up very impressively. And I, I, as I, you're right, I'm sure that killed O'Carr. But it was obviously the the right option in that stage game. You never know one more attack and they get a goal and if, but, if it hadn't come off. So uh, I, I thought, yeah, the, by and large, the better team won as well, you, you would have to say. Mm. It's tough in Castlehaven, Tommy, when it comes to the injuries. Uh, James McCarthy, the manager, was saying afterwards that Damien Callan, Connor Callan were far from right. Mentioned that Damien, mm. as uh, Morris said, was playing on one leg for the entire game. It looked at Will. You can yeah. see that. Like, you know, like, yeah. The influence that he's had in other games, it just wasn't there. You know, He was he was on the periphery of, of attacks when Castlehaven had the ball. He was a good bit back. You know, He wasn't breaking the line. So, And Connor Callan is a huge runner of them as well from midfield. Drives a lot of teams, uh, draws, draws fouls and slips off points. They were massive losses to Castlehaven. Mm. You were hoping that the break maybe would have them right, but probably the game came around even a little bit too quick. Um, St. Bridget's, we'll hear from Jerome Stack in a moment, Tommy, but you've been very impressed by them and some of their attackers, particularly. That goal for Derwin was incredibly well worked, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, one of my questions coming in here was, you know, I'd, I'd seen Bobby Newton kick freeze, you know, and deliver, but Bobby Newton delivered from play last day. And Derwin had that first half where, like, he's involved so much and he scored 1 1. Quite a youthful uh, full forward line. Um, I was just sitting beside Willie Hegarty, the great Willie Hegarty on commentary, and he goes, You have your BB, but now you've got your three Bs bed, breakfast, and what's the other three? It's Ben O'Carroll. Just the lines that he was coming out were fantastic. So, um, you know, Ben O'Carroll, Bobby Nugent, and Brian Irwin in that full forward line. For Bridges to win the All-Art, like, forget about Ben O'Carroll. He's a top scorer in the country. He's absolutely electric. You'd hope he delivers that performance that talent has shown throughout this year. He needs the other boys stepping up around him, as they did at the weekend in the first half. Um, you know, maybe their composure 
he let them down a little bit and, and O'Carroll was the one that kept going and kept things taking over and was setting up scores. Like O'Carroll isn't just a scorer like Amar said this as well. The amount that he creates from I suppose how he buzzes about the place, how aggressive he is, receiving the ball and laying off, the intent that he plays with. He's just a dream to watch, a dream to play with, I'd imagine, and a nightmare to mark. Um, actually, the aggression that he brings, I think it's a great thing for a forward to have. Brian Hurley will have something very similar. Just the intent that that man has when he gets the ball in his hands. There's no written around. Um, they've got an in-county kind of midfield in Eddie Nolan and Shane Canaan, two big boys that can move. Um, good on the ball they're smart holders you got Roland Stack in the half back line like he's the the one survivor in this team from 2013 and that I think is a big point going into this game it is a young bridge team it's a new generation and I think we've seen it over the last couple of years there's no great science to this but taking a lot of teams to lose another in the final and then come back and do another you know Bridges lost from 11 to Cross and Glen and they came back and won in 13 we thought Kalkulu's won to Carfin and come back and win it next year Kilmco Croaks lose on to Kilku and come back and win it next year. Glenn and Austin, are they going to come back and do it this year? It's hard to know. But you know, I have mentioned Brian Stack there, as Mars mentioned. I, I actually didn't think Stack played that bad. I thought he was unlucky for two frees, actually. The second free, yeah. Well, yeah. the second free, second half. But even the first free, the first half, I thought Hurley did exceptionally well playing that free. But yeah. look, I, I, like, I see Brian Hurley do this players all year long, where you know maybe he hasn't had a great in the in the county final against Nemo Rangers. Brian Hurley did not have a great game. He, his shots weren't coming off. When the game went down to the crunch, Hurley said it himself after the game. He knew his, his shooting wasn't happening. What did he do? He won two cheap marks and he slotted them over the bar. He's such a smart, intelligent footballer. I actually, a back afterwards, like, I think all the press kind of grabbed him at, at one stage for a few minutes. I was chatting to him and he certainly felt like he had, had a great game. Um, which is a rarity for him. I didn't think he'd have that, that bad a game, but Hurley is just that good. Sometimes there's not much good. It felt like that. Um, but yeah, like that's, I think Bridges, I think there's a good team there. I think, you know, Connor Glass obviously mentioned he read it off like him giving the best players in every position from uh, from Bridges. Very impressive from Glass moments after beating Chemical Croaks. But like, I do think that there is a, a really good stock here in St. Bridges. Mm. Let's hear from Jerome Sack then. Um, you know, manager with massive experience, having worked in Kerry and Clare with the Leash footballers of different since. Was with Port Leash, was with Castlehaven back in 2018 uh, before he was managing Port Leash as well. This is what he had to say to Tommy uh, when asked about the bit of grit and maybe adversity that Bridges have had to overcome on their run now to an All Ireland final. When players have been through it, like we've been through games against Boyle, we've been through games against Pierce's, even Mohill, where it's been very tight at the end, and we, we've had periods where the other team just get a run, and uh, thanks be to God, we, I, I think we've learned from them, we're far from perfect on it, but uh, I'm not afraid of a battle. If this team goes into a battle, uh, I think you learn an awful lot about players in a battle, and I think we've had some of those this year, and I wouldn't underestimate the value of those when you go into, into tight games, when things aren't going perfectly. They won't go perfect the whole time, and uh, I think that we've learned, I'm not saying we've got that right yet, but we've definitely learned something on it. And it's a credit to your team that you've had different players standing up at different times in each of those tough games as well, which is a big thing. You, you had a brilliant start, like the, yeah. the three full forward line, they had each scored from play inside the first seven minutes. Um, you know, Derwin and Nugent were very good today. Ben O'Carroll, though, he, he's he's hard to handle, Jerome. Do you know, like, he must be a dream to coach. Oh, he is. Well, look, uh, Ben, like I've said this before, Ben has got a, he's a special player. Uh, and um, he, you know, like, he does a huge... Like while we while he plays most of his time up front, you know, and other fellas have to do a shift back further the pitch. He'll do that shift for you, but but he, he runs up front. He makes so many of them. I'd say if you put a GPS on Ben, he's probably up close to the fellas that would be in the middle third, uh, because he's making so many runs, even ones when he doesn't get on the ball. So like he does a huge amount for the team. But he's a special player. But look, there's more to it than that. Uh, like when the ball is played around, Bobby Nuge and Kieran Sugru, Paul McGrath, all these lads are all players that know how to play football and are intelligent and good on the ball they were all very good in the first half in different ways obviously second half we'll have to look at that and, and try and ensure we prolong that period next yeah. time I'll let you go now in a minute because you'll want to get an eye on the Glen Kilmacook Crows game which is taking place in Uri very very shortly uh, you, you've coached around the country Jerome in, in many places in Munster was Castlehaven a spot you've been before you would have, you would have been involved with the club back in 18 I, I think yeah I was involved with Castlehaven for a period of time and all I would have is um Fantastic memories of it, a fantastic club. Very similar to Bridget's in a lot of ways. Uh, same sort of uh, ethos, same sort of people behind the club. Uh, their pitch out in the middle of nowhere, same as um, uh, Kiltoom. Uh, I would see great similarities between them. I'd have great 
great time for all the Castlehaven players. And if we hadn't, if that, that result could have gone a different way when uh, Rory Maguire hit the crossbar. And if they had won, I'd be above there supporting them in the final. Uh, and they'd be due that for me because they treated me very, very well. I'd have, I would be, I'd have just great time for that. The old drum stacking conversation with Tommy after the game at Semple Stadium at the weekend. Uh, Morris Bryan stack was saying he was only a kid watching in the stands in Crow Park back in 2013 when uh, Frankie Dolan and Cake were embracing after the game after that dramatic win for uh, Bridgets in 2013. So this is a new experience for this young bunch of Bridgets who are going to the final. Given how they've beaten Carfin, given how impressive they were in parts against Castlehaven in that game, do you give them a shout against Glenn in the final in a couple of weeks? Oh, 100%, yeah. 100%. I think this could be a, a great game. This, just to double down on what Tommy's saying, they've got so many like actual footballers, like players who are just really comfortable on the ball, really pacey. If they size up a one-on-one, so many of them are comfortable taking them on. Uh, at the other end of the pitch, they got a lot of kind of firefighters, really intelligent players. I thought Pierce Frost in the corner, I know Conor Hanning got mad in the match, I thought he did a, a superb game. Not necessarily going out and cancelling out one player, but just always seem to find the danger and, and, and you know, attack it hard. There probably is, there's a couple of nice links between the, the Bridges of old and the Bridges of new. You would notice a lot of the, the older crew at a lot of the games and they'd be on the pitch with the this current team a lot. So you would have seen for example, at the at the confine, you were seeing the you know the Frankie Dolans or the Carl Mannions. They were all out there on the pitch, kind of congratulating the lads, and I think that reflects pretty well in the club. You can actually see it on the flip side too. I thought it was it was telling at the weekend just how uh, how much time Drum Stack spent with the Castlehaven lads. There's clearly a real bond there that you could see that the whatever relationship they had in 2018 it was it, it's still pretty lasting. But yeah, to, to answer your question, well, like, they, they've got a master. I think it could be a, a great final. They will. They, it won't. They, I think that if they're going to play on the counter the way that they have, and they're so good at kind of forcing that, it will propose a really interesting matchup because Glenn like to kick the ball, and sometimes they're, they're kicking in in the second half of the weekend. Some of those kicks were kind of were blind, and they still came off. You know, there was one that Roy Carl this punch that just broke at the feet of was Mulholland, wasn't it? They just picked it and put over the bar. But I, I wonder to what extent would that actually work against Bridges? I'm not so sure it would. So from a matchup perspective, it would be really interesting. Mm, to be excellent on the 21st now we've got four finals on this weekend oh, Tommy's going to Crow Park for us here and off the ball but TG Carr is showing all four of them at the weekend um, might start off with the football lads which are the games on Sunday and like, no great surprise Morris when it comes to the junior football championship that we've got a Kerry team who are in the final in this case it's Lestol Emmets up against Arvev Cavan so Kerry clubs win in seven of the last ten They've been in 15 finals, which is more than Ulster and Leinster combined since the competition was inaugurated back in the early 2000s. So, I mean, we've talked about the fact the way the Kerry Championships are structured, that oftentimes you're looking at a stronger relative team in Kerry than some of the teams in other counties. But that is some run for teams from the kingdom getting to finals in this competition. Yeah, and this is a a big bugbear I've noticed increasingly in the last couple of years that Kerry clubs are as dominant as they are. Um, On the flip side, it's kind of a bugbear for a lot of I know Kerry football people would take issue with the fact that their championship is is ferocious. You can probably have got eight a club championship, especially you know you wouldn't be able to pick at it. And you look at other club championships around the, uh, the county, and would they actually be better served by having, as a, from a neutral perspective, by having a kind of a more cutthroat element? So you've got a, a situation where you've got like the twenty fifth team in Kerry. I also think it, it might maybe it, it's slightly under appreciated that there is, okay, there's only eight senior clubs, but there is sixteen intermediate clubs, and the stall came from the junior. So it's not like they. It's not like the it's diminished all the way down. Like it's, you're talking about the 25th ish team against maybe the 34th or 33rd ish team from elsewhere. So it's not a massive uh, gap in that way. But uh, just from a, the stove perspective, I think they've had a, a really good year. Like they got Mark O'Shea involved as a coach. He would have had big family connections in the uh, in the club. I think Tomas was actually born in the stove. I'm pretty sure. Um, Lads of uh, And then right, okay, yeah. Um, uh, so but he, he, they would be very tied to the club. Um, Mark has come in they've got some excellent players like uh, really excellent uh, so, so free takers you look at Healy at the weekend and he'd be a bit near flawless so I think they're they're, they're in a good place this is a right good I think that game could be could be brilliant like the two clubs that would have been Kerry Cubs will always be earmarked from early on in this competition but it just so happens that they're up against a team who there's a lot of talk about very early in the competition as well so it kind of it's pitting together to I, we could have maybe predicted this one coming from a long way out with Mm, that's the half one game so the game that gets underway at half three is the intermediate final we had the semi-finals just the weekend gone by uh, not to be 
um, for Johnny Doyle with Alan Wood in his mid-40s to get to an All-Ireland final. So it was a goal from Ross McQuillan that made all the difference for Cully Hanna to get through uh, 111 to 11 points in Navin. But the kind of show of respect was that a lot of the players from the Armagh Club were going over to shake hands with Johnny when the game finished at Park Talton. But 111 to 11 points was the result there. Armagh champions were just ahead by a point at halftime, but a bit like... The senior semi-final we talked about where there was a race ahead at the start of the second half. They went five points up. Allenwood fought back but weren't able to get themselves an equaliser. And then we had Kilnamartha who got past Castle St. Kevins of Roscommon in the end by two goals and 10 points to 15 points. That game was in Port Leash. Uh, they hit two goals early in the second half which was the difference between the teams at the full-time whistle. So, Morris, how do you see this one going? Cork versus Armagh. You've got Kilnamartha up there against Cullihanna in the second game at half three. That's the intermediate decider. Yeah, if, if anybody if you're if anybody didn't see that game, it's worth going back and watching that Cullihanna goal. I think uh I remember well around the time our match remember the famous goal, the Grugan goal for Armagh, the when Reed O'Neill won the throw and drilled it in straight away. And uh the Armagh was Armagh talked about this the set piece move that he'd been working on. I remember going back and watching how long had we seen evidence that how long were they actually working on that? And it was something they clearly had tried a couple of times and one or two things hadn't come off for months. If you go watch that McQuillan uh, goal at the weekend I think it was the same thing you watch how wide every single other forward hugged the fastest forward coming in over a little dink ball coming into down that centre channel all he needs to do is burst onto it everybody is it's, it's, they've totally cleared out I, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if we hear I haven't, um, I haven't uh, seen a move like that work since under 14 verse our club team from Condor Mead Hill Peter O'Halloran had a had a brainchild and we used to get goals from it all the time I haven't seen it work since then remarkable stuff I think you're right yeah. though I think it was the same um, but yeah, and so the the game itself, it's actually as as it happens, the same thing. Well, not the exact same thing, but the thing that swung the game for Kilimanjaro was two uh, two goals into a uh, when they you know you've got a first phase goal, so basically from a kick out, a big massive sweep and attack coming down the left hand channel. Michael uh, is at the back post, pounds ball in. The next subsequent kick out, keeper just doesn't find his man, is picked off by David Odenine, and he uh, they get a goal off that too. So uh, two teams who again have established their credentials from the long way out. Uh, killing a match to turn over you talk about the dominance of carry clubs would have been a lot more teams favouring whoever came out of the intermediate championship and they turned over uh, Milton and Castlemaine the week after they beaten Fossa and since then they've just gone from, from strength to strength a really physical team uh, I, I, I do I I don't know it's my it's in my nature Will. I'm, I, I love this time of year I'm very excited about games but I do think these two games genuinely will be very entertaining like this, the nature of the way they do teams play some of the pure stars on display the matter won't come in and, and set in behind it. You know that uh, John Evans is immediately ends of last Greece have been very entertaining. So I think every element of these games depicts that they will be a be, be a right good game. Yeah, no, it should be really good. The hurling finals are on Saturday and. It's amazing to think 15 years ago, Wally Welch was playing for Tuller yeah. Ross Birkin in an All-Ireland final. Uh, they lost out that day, uh, but they're back again against Cork, got position. It was Dripsy of Cork back then. Uh, they're up against St. Captions of Cork this time round. And I was chatting to him after the beat, Cole Shanahoe in the Leinster Championship. I bumped into Wally uh, in Kilkenny that day and they were getting ready for a Leinster final. They were, they've were they been very impressive and very free scoring in their run to the final. So again, here he is, 17 years of age, back in 2009, one of only two players still playing for Ross Birkin who got through to this final Pat Hartley started at centre half back back then uh, so it's going to be interesting I mean it's very tough uh, for any player to miss out but I was kind of doing some reading ahead of this game Morrison uh, Daniel Mangan who'd be the captain of St. Catherine's unfortunately has a cruciate ligament injury so he's kind of written the speech and he's ready to be there as part of the day for his team but unfortunately he's going to have to watch on that's a cruel thing when your club gets to Crow Park Yeah I, I actually I did the St. Catherine's semi-final for for our paper and they're the band they bring to games is is class like they they'll be and in fact you got two neighboring clubs in a in a final this weekend i think you know that really be uh one knocking on the other so you would generally maybe one part of the downside of double headers well sometimes is maybe that you do notice especially in club games there's a, a real clear out after one game that won't happen definitely not from a golf perspective this weekend um uh, and, and then I suppose just just building on that, they're a team who've been very well coached. Obviously, got a lot of experience in that uh, management ticket. You see that there's there's evidence that in the games, maybe the way they close out games, I think is is really telling to see that at uh, in lower grades. So um, you want to talk about dominance too? Like I mean, whatever about Kerry clubs, Cork and Kilkenny clubs have, are really starting to come to the fore in the, the lower grades here. So there's kind of a there's an ongoing rivalry in that regard as well. 
Junior, junior final is five o'clock. The, the intermediate final is going to be at seven, which again, as Morris mentioned, you've got Castle Lions not too far away from St. Catharines up against Thomastown of Kilkenny. That's a seven o'clock start. Some interesting players for Castle Lions. You've got Niall O'Leary currently with Cork. You've got former Cork player in Colum Spillane. So they've got that bit of Crow Park experience with them coming into the game. Um, very impressive the way they fought back in the Munster semi-final. They beat Crotto O'Neill's of Kerry after being nine points down, brought the game to extra time and won in extra time. And then you look at Thomastown who are coming in to this on the back of a lot of hurt in recent years so they got to the Kilkenny finals in 1920 and 22 lost out by a couple of points and a point in all of those finals get over the line in 2023 so they'll go back to senior in Kilkenny for next season and they have got a little bit of history and some players still around when they won 11 years ago they won the junior championship so again that on the face of it looks like a very interesting final Morris yeah, it does. And there's, probably, well, there's two things. I think, the, just to go back to something you said there earlier, I, 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 I'm sure Tommy will attest this, I don't think you can underestimate the influence of someone like Cullen Spillane or an established inter-county pro when you get out of your county. That when the, Because the even really storied clubs, I know Gary Sice was talking about this recently with Cara Finn, them getting out of Galway was a totally new phenomenon for the vast majority of their dressing. Like there's lads who've, who've never, who've never both in terms of caliber player, you come up against, but also the experience to go up against the county champions, the kind of the, the merry band of supporters that's coming behind you and dealing with all of that. And I think uh, a guy like that, this is the intangible stuff. Well, this is the, the thing we're all trying to bottle, but I think a guy like that, would, it would just be invaluable to, to have. And, you know, neither is going from strength to strength. He's probably, you look from a court the defence perspective he's becoming a, a really kind of target option a, a, a really efficient man marker for them too so there's a, a big stance to that and then on the flip side you've got you know a, a, especially from a Kenny perspective where it's all about trying to get back into a cutthroat senior division and now you've got this added alert so that was your main priority for so long but you know you've got this added alert of coming into that off the wave of what is potentially an All-Ireland can you imagine hopping into a a senior championship next year on, on the back of that like the, the momentum that would give you what that would do for a club not just celebrations on a, on a Monday and a Tuesday but for the next 12 months would be it would be invaluable Yeah makes going back to the gym for pre-season that bit easier Tommy give us an <laughs> insight on that before we finish of having someone around who's maybe been there done that at the top level I mean with Cratlow you've had some inter-county players with you this season what difference do they make to you? Of course it makes an absolutely monumental difference like, and even some of the Cratlow boys like we had six or seven fellas that had gone on motor runs before, like there was that Cratlow team that ran Dr. Oaks to just a point back in 2013. Um, you know, like that, it's invaluable. Like it settles that around you. Um, you know, we would have had, I would say, in a lot of ways, quite an older team this year in Cratlow lads from towards their late 20s and 30s. And even at that age, you're going to still have nerves when you're coming into something slightly different. But you've like the Pot Collins or Colin McInerney or Conor Ryan coming in and they're just setting the tone whether it be in training and making sure that the intensity is the same as it always was or settling ads, stopping boys, getting excited. Um, I think Morris nailed it there. Like those things make a massive difference when it gets to the kind of the newer thing. And I think Bridget's would have possibly seen it this weekend. It was the first time that Bridget had a game outside of his con had a run this year I was playing in Semple this weekend coming through that coming through the I suppose the the challenge that Castlehaven put up against them in the second half I think that puts them in an unbelievable place an unbelievable place yeah, going to the All-Ireland final against Glen um, I know we'll we'll probably come back that in the, in the following week after we get these four All-Ireland finals out of the way but like I think they're going to be serious entertainment in Crow Park this weekend and the following weekend as well I think everyone's going into that game thinking they have a chance well, look, it's All-Ireland season. Our coverage of the club championship here and off the ball with AIB, the main sponsors of the All-Ireland Club Hurling Football and Camogie Championships. We look forward to Tommy's updates here and off the ball across the weekend. Lads, thanks, Millen, for joining us on the Club Championship Show. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Morris. The Club Championship Show on Off the Ball in partnership with AIB, proud sponsor of the Football, Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Hashtag the toughest.